Well, let's give the Lord a hand. That was wonderful. That was wonderful. This year, 2022, is the year of the good news here at New Freedom Church. And the good news is not a news report or a newscast or a feel-good story on your local station, but the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ, whereby since he has risen, we rise, and since he has come, we are free. Can someone say, I'm free indeed? Free in Jesus. We are going to be working this year through the four gospel writers, and uh, we just finished up with Mark. Today we're going to start the gospel according to Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. In the gospel according to Matthew, we find a couple of things. First of all, we find the longest teaching of Jesus that's recorded in the scriptures. It is also what I would contend to be the best sermon ever preached. It is called the Sermon on the Mount. And this is also where we find the Beatitudes, which beginning next week, we'll spend some more time focusing on each one of these Beatitudes. However, today I want to bring your attention to a passage that is tucked neatly by Jesus right in the middle of this greatest sermon that he ever preached. And I want to call this message treasured, treasured, just say that treasured. That is the message today. Matthew 6 and 19 says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says, do not do this, rather do that. Do not store up temporary things that are going to corrode or have the uh, possibility of being stolen from you and you're going to lose anyway eventually, but rather do this, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, this is a message on generosity, not specifically on tithing or on, on how much money that you give to the Lord, although we're going to talk about that a little bit. Uh, I believe in and I practice and I have several messages where I've traced all the way back from really the beginning of creation, God's first principles and God's proportional principles and even tithing. I I have many of those. And someone will always bring up in a message like this afterwards, they'll say, but pastor, we're under grace now. Tithing is old law, to which I would say, yes, you are absolutely right. Tithing is not, hear me, tithing is not mandated in the New Testament. Even though Jesus, you can read it when you get home, in Matthew 23, 23, endorses tithing. It was actually something that he kind of assumed that the Jews of that day were doing. Even though Jesus endorsed it, tithing is not mandated in the New Testament. Nonetheless, I choose personally by grace to practice tithing because it's a better deal. Now, I'm not the best at mathematics, and I didn't score very high on my aptitude of math tests, but I'm, I'm well enough with math to know that 10% is less than 100%. Somebody say amen. So I practiced tithing because I found out it's a better deal. What do you mean it's a better deal, preacher? Because even though the New Testament does not mandate tithing, in the New Testament, it says that everything we have belongs to God. So I think I'll just go with the 10. Okay, thank you, Lord. I'll keep the other. Here's what I've found in my own life is that 
my 90% with God's blessing goes a whole lot further than 100% without God's blessing. Plus, most times whenever I get challenged like this, people will tell me this grace argument. It's usually to justify giving less and not more. However, here's what I would say. Why under grace, why under the New Testament, would God expect less of his New Testament believers than he did his Old Testament kids when they were just under a tutor? I mean, when you're under a tutor, that means you're still learning. Why would God expect less? And here's what Jesus said. Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. So that said, this is not a tithing message. This is a generosity message. So you can relax, just take a deep breath because already an offering has been given to you. I'm sorry for those of you online, you didn't get the bag of M&Ms today, but we will give you one just the next time we see you at New Freedom Church. Tell them I said, and they'll give you one of those M&Ms. But don't eat your M&Ms yet. We're going we're gonna to illustrate those in just a minute. I want to introduce you to a principle today of generosity. And I want to use this ladder. This is going to be called the generosity ladder. Okay, this is the generosity ladder. I need five volunteers. Five volunteers. You can bring your M&Ms up here. I need five volunteers to come and stand on these marks right up here. Come on, I need five. Or I can choose some victims. Okay, thank you. That, that normally gets them stern. I just need five volunteers. Everybody just, just take a spot. Just five volunteers. Now, you... You can put away, thank you, you can put away your M&Ms. I think everybody received, let me see, anybody got it back? Everybody received one of these. Okay, this is a fun snack size, I think. Oh, they call this a fun size. Isn't that fun? I love M&Ms. I did this years ago with Skittles because somebody told me to do Skittles, and I just found I like M&Ms better than Skittles. So sorry, you get M&Ms today. But here we go. All right, so we are going to give you, this is a sharing size. So we'll give you a sharing size. I don't know, this doesn't say it's any particular size, but it's, it's pretty good. Uh, this one here is a, also a share size, not a sharing, but a share size, okay. We'll give you a, a box. We'll give you a share size. Now go ahead and open those. Everybody open, open your bag there because what I want you to see is the principle of generosity. Already, they have become recipients of generosity. They have received something that they didn't earn, that they didn't work for, They didn't put in any labor for it, but they have received this principle of generosity. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to give me a first steps or first time gift, a first time gift. Just, just, you know, free will, first time gift. I want you to give me a first time gift. That's a first time gift, a first time gift. Notice I'm not telling them how much to give. First time gift. This is a first time gift. Oh, wow. First time, generous. First time gift. All right. Thank you. All right. So this is a first time gift. And on the ladder of generosity, this is typically the starting point, first-time gift. Now, I want you to give me a regular gift. Now, regular may be every time you come to church, every time you think about it, uh, Easter and Christmas. (laughs) That's what some people is pretty regular. It may be every time you get paid, but a regular gift. I just want you to give me a regular gift. All right, regular gift. Thank you, regular. It's It's a regular gift. You see where I'm going with this? Regular gift. All right. So all of these regular gifts go right in there. Now, I want you to to think about what a proportional gift would be. A portion of 
what you have been given, a portion. Now, the divine portion we see all throughout God's scriptures is 10%. So for you, in that bag, there's about 175. So I need 17 or, you know what, if I found with God, you can round up. It's okay. Or you can round down if you want. But just give me 18. Just count out 18. For you, that box has 50. So give me five. Uh, for you, that, that bag has 30. So I just need three five, and three. So a proportional gift, a proportion. So this is 10% of the gift that you already received. You already have yours. See, see this rich man over here, he's, he's counting his. All right. There you go. He got, got to, there we go. See, we used to use these old offering plates because when you give, it's like. All right. So this is the proportional gift. That didn't sound as heavy as these. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We're going somewhere. Now, this one, this one's a little stretch for me. This one's a stretch for most of us. But I want you to now give me an extravagantly generous gift. Extravagantly generous gift. Extravagantly generous gift. Extravagantly generous gift. There you go. Extravagantly. I like it extravagantly generous. Now, here's what I want you to see. Every step along the way goes somewhere. There's more than the bucket could contain or more than I could reach to get in that bucket. Now, all of these are ladder rungs, are parts of this giving generosity ladder. And the question for each one of us as followers of Jesus, when we become part of the household of faith, where are we in terms of generosity? Now, I illustrated it with M&Ms because that's what you were given when you came in today. But for most of us, we exchange our greatest commodity, which is T-I-M-E, for M-O-N-E-Y. We exchange time for money. Our life is made up of a certain amount of moments, time. We transfer through trade, through skill, through work, through Ingenuity to transfer our time to our talent and our talent in our hands to our money. And therefore, we go up into these rungs. Now, here, here's what I want to see here. If this is the storehouse, then the, the generous gifts go in here. The proportional gifts go in here. The regular gifts go in here. There, are, there is some waste every now and then. That's okay. Waste and everything. And these go in here. And now what we see is that there is more than enough to meet the needs when presented to this local body. Amen. So that when there is a need represented, so that when there is within these walls issues and things that need to be divvied and taken care of, and outside of these walls, the storehouse has more than enough to bless this community and that community in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. How many want to be generous this morning? Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. So this principle of generosity is what the Sermon on the Mount is not only a description of, but a prescription of the kingdom life. All throughout this, this message of of Jesus, this Sermon on the Mount, which takes up several chapters here in Matthew, 
we find that this is not only describing what kingdom life looks like, but it's prescribing how that if we operate in God's timing and God's plan and God's ways, then we can be intentionally and dramatically in this kingdom. But here's what you're going to find over the next several weeks is that being part of this kingdom is diametrically opposed and mutually exclusive from natural living, natural thinking. The world's standards do not mesh with God's standards. To be a friend of this world means to be at enmity with God. And if all you're ever going to do is take a page out of the generosity of the world, the clinging brass and cymbals, that every time that they give, they have to be recognized for it, then you're never going to have the satisfaction and joy of being the cheerful giver that God loves. Listen, the scriptures tell us that God loves a cheerful giver. But here's what I've found after 16 years of pastoring. He'll take it from a grouch just the same. (laughs) And here's the other thing I want to tell you. This principle is not a give-to-get principle. Now, I believe fully that when you give to God, you cannot give God. And when you give, something will come back in return. But this is not like God and a genie. I'm going to rub the, the bottle and tell God how many wishes that I want. That's not what this is. So make sure that you check your motives and you're being generous because God has done something in your life that you can't help but to give back. You want to give. You want to do this. Because there are plenty of people, and I don't believe this message that you'll never be blessed if, you don't, if you're not a generous person. There are plenty of people that in financial terms, they will look on paper like they are very much blessed. It looks like they're very much getting ahead. However, you can look at their financial disclosures, and many of them are in the halls of Congress, and they give less by percentage to generous and, and philanthropic uh, donations than the average American does. So just because someone has a lot doesn't mean that they're generous. And just because someone has very little doesn't mean that they are stingy. Doesn't mean that they withhold. In his book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn shares several principles of generosity. I just want to share a couple of those with you. So these aren't my own. These are his, but these are biblically based. And here's what I want to share with you. Just a few of them. God owns everything and I'm his money manager. Do you really look at yourself as God's money manager? Psalm 24, one says this, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. Pretty clear, right? I mean, everything is God's. The earth is the Lord's. Anything that we mine out of the earth, it was God that put it there. Any kind of ingenuity that we think of, we came from the earth and we're made in his image. And so we might have a breakthrough idea. We might have an ingenuity or some kind of a business plan or idea that makes lots of money and and, and amasses many, many uh, thousands of dollars of wealth. But it came from God. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 also uh, establishes this in the New Testament. Or do you not know? And this is Paul asking a question. Maybe he's saying, maybe you don't really know, or do you not know that your body, that's you, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You don't belong to you, not as a Christ follower, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. So there's Bible on it right there. New Testament is not just 10%. God owns everything because God owns me. John Wesley, the great co-founder of Methodism, was 
a very austere man. He, he didn't uh, put a lot of stock in his material wealth while he was living. In fact, there were many times as a circuit rider around the Americas that he would, uh, he would actually prefer to sleep in a barn on a bed of hay because he said, if I, if I uh, would take the, the nicest accommodations in the homes of the, the cities of people where I go, then I wouldn't necessarily want to go into the pastures and the fields and the far out places because I would get a little bit too comfortable. I think there was something to his mindset. But John Wesley was once famously uh, wrote upon by, by a stranger that came to make an announcement to him. And as this stranger is, is, is pulling close on his horse, remember in those days, that's all they had for transportation was horse and horse and buggy. And he, he was riding to his next preaching engagement. And this man rode up on a horse and he said, Mr. Wesley, Mr. Wesley, listen, you need to come now because your house has just been caught on fire and it's going to burn to the ground. And John Wesley said, oh, no, 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 not my house, the Lord's house. And if it burns to the ground, that's one less responsibility that I have to deal with. Because he was simply God's money manager. He didn't own anything. He was a steward of everything. So look at all the things that you own. Look at all the things that you have been blessed with, all the things that you have accumulated. This is a great time for spring cleaning. And if if you're like me, then you're going to get under a little bit of conviction when you start into your garage and you start moving those things that you haven't touched in about six months. And and you know the old rule is if you haven't touched it for six months, you probably don't need it. So it's time to sell it, donate it, give it away, something like that. You know, we accumulate a lot of things. The storage industry in America is a multi-billion dollar industry that did not exist just 50 years ago because we have so many accumulated items, material things that we now have to take them off-site and pay rental fees to store them just perchance that we would need those again, things we haven't seen for years and years and years. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with some keepsakes. There's nothing wrong with some family heirlooms, something to, to hand on down to somebody else. But listen, don't we really have more than we need, more than we use? How about we be generous with what God has given to us, knowing that we're owners of nothing, stewards of everything. All that you have comes from God. And listen to this. He allows you to set your salary. God allows you to determine how much that you want to keep, how much that you need to keep. And he gives us principles how to participate with him in our giving. Here's the next principle is this. My heart always goes where I put God's money. Here's Bible on it. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart always goes where you put God's money. What do you mean, preacher? I worked hard for that money. Yeah, but it was the Lord thy God that gave you power to get wealth. He gave you breath in your lungs. He gave you strength in your body to be able to hold down that job. Intellectual, uh, uh, mental capacity to be able to pass that test and to take that examination and to, to do that interview. It was the Lord thy God who gave you the power to get wealth. And therefore, wherever you place God's money, there you will find your heart. Many of us, we get that statement in the mail and it's of our 401k, our Roth IRA, our retirement savings, and it's invested in companies, stocks and bonds. And so we we open that statement up every month and we care about whether the number goes up or it goes down, don't we? Why? Because our treasure is there. We have treasure, we have investment 
in our retirement. We have investment in our savings. We have invested some time to exchange for money that then we invested in a longer-term uh, vehicle for some day later. That's good. That's wise. God is, is approving of that. And when those numbers go down, how do we feel? We feel bad. When those numbers go up, how do we feel? We feel kind of like protective mode, right? But we have an investment there. If you have invested in a sports team, in a, in a, in a, a ball team, if you've bought tickets to a, a season of an entire sport, then you will care about the stats of the sport. You will care about the people who are being traded in and out of that ball club. You will care about the maintenance of that facility. If you invest in your home, then you should care about the appearance of your home. See, anywhere we put God's money, we find our heart is invested there. If you invest financially into your church, this isn't my church, this is your church. This is God's house. This is God's place. And when you financially invest, you care that the floors are clean that the hallways smell good, that the bathrooms are tidy, that there is enough supply around the building, that there is, there is staffing enough to be able to take the phone call when you have a need. You care whether your church is growing or declining. If you invest locally in the body, then you care what happens to the storehouse. So wherever we put our money, there our heart is. And here's what I found. You know, it's really hard to walk away from an investment. There are people who, during this, the, the crash of 2008, watched as their 401ks turned into 2.5ks. Like, like, they went in half. And many people still didn't want to sell because they could not easily walk away from that investment. Now, those who held on were probably glad they did because they have rebounded. And we don't easily walk away when we have invested into the kingdom and the work of God. Here's what I want to tell you, though, is that God... He doesn't just want donors. We're not looking to build our donor base. God really wants your heart affection. Because here's what God knows. If he has your heart, then he has your pocketbook. He has everything. It's been said, show me your checkbook, your visa statement, your receipts of the things you've purchased, and I'll show you where your heart is. What are you investing in? What are you spending on? This isn't a guilt message. This is a generous message, a generosity thing. I want to invest the way that God prescribes in his word so that I can participate with his good instruction. How about this one? Giving is the best antidote for materialism. We have never seen a generation and a culture like we find in the world today, particularly in Western nations. I'm not just gonna get on Americans, but there are entire Western civilization that is consumed with the idea of more is better, bigger is better, more, more, more. It's this concept of materialism. And really what we do is we're trying to like outdo another person. We're trying to always make sure we have the latest and the greatest, and it keeps costing us more and more and more. And here's the, the notion that we get in mind is that if I can only buy that new shiny thing, then I'll be happy. Can I tell you how long I was happy with my latest iPhone? Probably for about three days until I realized it basically did everything that my last iPhone did, only maybe just a hair faster and the battery lasted longer, but that was by design of the manufacturer. You see, there is planned obsolescence. 
in everything that you purchase now, all of the equipment, all the appliances. You wonder why grandma and grandpa, that their washer and dryer lasted for like 55 years. Come on now, they still have the same refrigerator and yours won't last seven years because it's planned obsolescence. They can build them just as good as they, they can actually build them better, but they know if they build them to the optimum, you won't buy one every five years. They know if they don't create some latest and greatest little thing on your next electronic device, then you won't upgrade. And so there's planned obsolescence. It is materialism that we have to have more, 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 and more. And what we're doing is we're heaping up all of these treasures And we don't even realize that this very day, our souls may be required of us. There is this poignant scene in the movie Schindler's List. And if you've not seen it, it was released in the 90s. It it is one of the most heart-gripping stories of Nazi Germany during World War II, where where a man named, uh, let's name Schindler, was a a businessman in Germany, and he would, uh, he actually had a change of heart during the war, and he started to use his factories to bring in Jewish refugees and, and work them in his factories to keep them out of the concentration camps. But at, right at the end of the movie of Schindler's List, as he's being found out by the Nazis what he's doing, that he's actually shielding these Jews from their demise, he's getting into his personal limousine, and he looks down at his hands and he realizes as he takes off his ring that if only he had sold that material thing, which was going to perish with him anyway, then he could have saved a few more lives. If only he didn't have that limousine, if only he had sold some more stock, if only, if only, if only. And see, I've stood at the bedside of a lot of people as they're taking their final days in and they're taking their last breaths. And I've never, ever heard anyone say, you know, pastor, I wish I'd worked harder. I wish I'd have worked more. I wish I had more zeros at the end of my bank account. No, in that moment, all they're concerned about is legacy. And so God gives us this principle of laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. It's like paying it forward. It's like the greatest investment that you could ever make are not things which are material, though you need to use those while you're here. And it is more blessed to give than to receive, but if you haven't ever received, then you can't give. So you obviously have to have that kind of currency. See, money is not bad, it's currency. It is a current. It's supposed to flow. Money flows into your life and therefore it's supposed to flow out of your life. You are nothing more than a conduit for God's blessing. You ever thought about that? You're a conduit. Everything that you have and possess belongs to God and you're a conduit of blessing for others. Luke 12 and 15, then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. These are Jesus' words. Life's not measured by how much you own. You don't believe it? Listen to these testimonies. You ever heard of a man named Vanderbilt? He said, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. $200 million in the 1800s. That's like billions and billions today. How about this? John Jacob Astor, one of the most wealthy men ever to live. He says, I am the most miserable man on earth. Somebody, somebody's thinking right now, give me those millions. I'll be miserable with him, right? You're thinking that, right? You, that's how we think because we get this mindset, more is better, bigger is better. No, more just means you have 
more, more to worry about, more to ensure, more to guard against, more to protect. Come on. Andrew Carnegie, he said this, millionaires seldom smile. Henry Ford, here's what he said after amassing the the largest car manufacturing uh, 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 company in, in his day. He said this, I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. And then maybe the most famous of all of a bygone era, John D. Rockefeller was famously asked, Mr. Rockefeller, how much money is enough? And he said, young man, just a little bit more. The most wealthy man ever to live. By today's estimates, worth well north of $350 billion. He even is worth more than Elon Musk is worth right now as the richest man currently to live. John D. Rockefeller. And when he was asked by a reporter, how much is enough? You're the richest man in the world. How much is enough? His response, just a little bit more. It was written that the accountant to John D. Rockefeller, when he had passed, had had done all the tally and someone came up and they said, would you just let me in? How much did John D. leave? And the accountant said, all of it. He left all of it. And someday you're going to leave all of it. Wouldn't it be nice while you're living to watch, to see the blessing of giving a little bit of it? Here's what you'll find about a generous person is that once they catch hold of this, they won't stay here long. They'll get to here real quick and then they'll get to this portion. But this isn't the end all either because there's so much joy in between these steps right here. You will find with generous people that they love giving. Some of the most happy, most carefree people that I've ever met are people who generously give. Now, now here's what you need to know. Generosity is way more than just your money. Because when you're a generous person, you'll be generous with your time. You'll be there and be present when you're there. And with your time, you will share expertise. A generous person is glad to help out someone who's in need. A generous person gives of their wisdom. They're available to lend a listening ear. A generous person will give of whatever that someone else has need of. A generous person isn't just someone who gives money. Because to be honest with you, for some of us, it's a whole lot easier to hear a message like this and just peel off a few 20s and put them in the offering plate. It's easier to give money. We can always make more of that. But how about your time? Are you generous with your time? Are you generous with your talent? Are you generous with your counsel, with your wisdom, with what God has blessed you with? Like I said before, money is what we get in exchange for our true greatest commodity, which is our time. So what are you doing with the value that you have exchanged for your time, that is money. First Timothy 6 and 17 says this, teach those who are rich in this world. Now let me stop right there because usually when I read these words, I think of rich people like Elon Musk, who I just talked about, like that's a rich man. I don't look at myself as a rich man, but as I look out at this audience and I think about you who are watching online, over 90% of the world's population lives on less than $5 a day, according to to stats. You and I living in the United States of America 
are in the top 2% of all people in the world who live with the luxuries that we do, like running water, sanitation systems, clothes on our back. I don't think anybody had a shortage this morning of, of what to wear. Our biggest dilemma was probably, what do we pick, right? We, by world standards and by standards of history, are very, very rich people indeed. But the scriptures say, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who gives richly to all we need for our enjoyment. You see, God wants you to enjoy some things. He wants you to enjoy life. Kingdom living is a joyful way of living. He wants you to enjoy it. But tell them to use their money to what? To do good. That they should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up, watch it, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. They're gonna come and they're gonna, they're gonna, we're gonna close, but Jesus said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be. The apostle Paul said that according to living generously, enjoying life, there's nothing wrong with enjoying life, have nice things and bless people with your nice things. He said, when you do that, that you store up treasures in heaven. Think of the concept. Think of what that means to put it in an investment vehicle that will never, ever lose value. It will never decrease. You see, as your pastor, I never want to be in a place of having to say no to a ministry need or an opportunity to bless our local community in this church. In other words, I always want to prepare our church, this storehouse, that there is more than enough spiritual food for those who come seeking and those whom we go out and find because the process is twofold. We should be a fountain of life, attracting people to the water of life, a light that is set up on a hilltop, but we also should be going out to the highways and the hedges, compelling them to come and to dine at God's table. This is good news. Now, I, so, I know some of you may be tempted to think, well, I've looked around. This church is doing pretty well financially according to what I can see. I mean, they're always painting something, doing something new, building something else. This church is doing fine without my giving. On the merits of it, that may be true. But that would be tantamount to saying, I know there's a lot of praying people there at New Freedom. I don't need to pray. I know there's a lot of people read their Bible at New Freedom. I don't need to read my Bible. Somebody else is already doing that. Who's missing out on the blessing if you let everybody else pray? If you let everybody else read? If you let everybody else lift their hands to worship? Giving is an act of worship. It is one of the ways that we bring our lives continually to God. Don't miss out on the blessing. Be part of it. So here's what I wanna encourage you to do as we close. I just wanna encourage you to take the next step. Where are you at on this ladder? Maybe you're not on the ladder yet, then you just need to start. One of the best ways that you can start is through our giving app. You go to any of your Google Play, your app store, you download New Freedom Church app. There's a, a real easy button there right there to give. You can do that right there. It's simple. 
There's envelopes in the hallways you can give. You can go on our website, you can give. You can simply just put a gift into, into the uh, box there, you can give. But I just encourage you, take the next step. Don't stay content where you're at. And here's what I know. The scriptures promise this, that God says, try me, test me. See if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven when you give. This is financial meaning. See if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing that there is not room enough to contain it. Take the next step. Whatever it is, get invested with God in your giving.